Hey guys, welcome to Haider's House. I'm your host Haider, a pharmacy postgraduate turned full-time musician and an entrepreneur based here in Dubai. On this podcast, we discuss on different topics ranging from self-improvement, books, people, ideas, businesses, entrepreneurship, and so on. Sometimes solo episodes and sometimes with other guests as well. Once again, welcome and you're listening to Haider's House. Hey guys, welcome back to Haider's House episode number 13. In this episode, we discuss with Dr. Dina Sadik all the way from Sri Lanka. We went through a lot of topics, especially judgments faced by women in terms of religion. So sit back, enjoy the chat, and thank you so much for listening. Let the show begin. Welcome to Haider's House, and today we have the guest Dr. Dina all the way from Sri Lanka. We met on Clubhouse, right? Uh, yeah, we met first on Clubhouse and then, then we followed on socials and we had some great chats, great conversations around different topics. And finally, we have, uh, we have her on, on the podcast uh, to discuss about uh, different things. It's going to be a long chat, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. So yeah, welcome Dina to, uh, to Haider's House. Here we go. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. And uh, the first time we met on Clubhouse, I was very impressed with your Malayalam club (laughs) and uh, how you have grown such a community in such a short span of time. So uh, for me, it was a pleasant surprise because even though I don't speak Malayalam, I speak Tamil, but I could still understand you guys. So it was a pleasant surprise for sure. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, we went through, uh, we went, uh, we went to a lot of rooms uh, together. We pinged each other for, for a lot of rooms. I mean, good, uh, really good. And we had some good conversations about bringing, I mean, leveling up the content, the quality of the content and the uh, the topics uh, on Clubhouse. And and it was brilliant. I mean, it was one of those those people I, uh, I mean, you were one of those people I met on Clubhouse, which, which actually uh, demands us to step up, right? We, sometimes we meet people who, who just drags us down, who brings our standard down. But there are some other people who, uh, who forces us to level up. Uh, step up so you are the honest people i'm so glad we met and we had some great conversations and i'd love to know more about you as a person and then uh, then we'll we'll move on to uh the topics of the traditions the cultures and yeah that's one topic i really wanted to uh wanted to talk about actually uh so but yeah first of all let's let's talk who is dr dina like who is dr <laughs> dina as a person and what does she do um, it depends if you want my version or what. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we'll go for your version for now. <laughs> well, I think um, who I am is um, a girl born to a typical Sri Lankan family, middle class family, uh, Muslim background. And growing up, I think I would say I had quite an ordinary childhood. Um, the goal was to do well in school, and I was an average student. But I had a turning point in my life when I was in grade six. Until grade six, I was an average student. And I remember sitting and watching the first three kids. I don't know if you guys have it. The first three in class get the reports in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's the same thing. I remember watching the three students, the same faces coming first, second, third in class. And Mm -hmm. I I was like 12 years and I was maybe average 12th in class out of 24 kids. And I asked myself, are these going to be the future leaders when we grow up? And I, I really thought, what would it feel like to be one of them 
to be in the top three. Yeah. And then comes grade seven, and then the teacher told me just go back home and read the basics of what you do for that day. Nothing too difficult, and then you would see a difference. So from fourteenth in class, I jumped to fourth in class. Wow! Just in in one semester. In one semester. Following, uh, I was going to ask you semester. in how in how many how many years, and then you were just like in one semester. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, because I really wanted to know what it felt like to be at the top. Right. And then the following semester, one of the girls who is like the top three went to, uh, for Umrah to perform okay. the pilgrimage. Right. So I was automatically in the top three. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly one year from that moment, I thought to myself, I wonder what it feels like. I was one of the next in the top three. So it began like that. And um, a couple of years later, I changed school. I was fighting from a very young age to go to my <laughs> brother's school because I used to go to a very um, religious Muslim girls' school mm. for the first nine years of my life. And mm. it didn't seem like most of them were interested to go in a career path. Many were getting engaged even at that very young age. Right. And I didn't feel that motivation and inspiration to stay in that environment. So I started fighting from grade six at home, begging my parents to send me to my brother's school, which is a mixed international school. How was how was the family? Like, how was the parents to you in terms of uh, the, being religious and uh, expecting you to be religious? Well, I mean, I went to a Muslim girls' school and we were all hijabi even at that age. And yeah. uh, they... My dad refused at first. He said that absolutely not. It's it's not a Muslim school. It's a mixed school and the uniform is not like Islamic. Okay. No, no, no. So for the next three years, I call this my personal and first one jihad. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> every day, Haider, for the next three years, I would come back home and, and be on this. Telling my mother to tell my father, begging, please, please, mm. please, please, please. And my mom would say, it's not that we don't trust you. We don't trust the outside world. Um, but at the same time, I continued working hard, grade six, seven, eight. Mm. Um, and I was in the top five, top six. And then finally, we went to my brother's school and they saw my grades. And I instantly got admission because right. I was doing well enough. Right. And going to the next high school, which was Lyceum International, which is right now the biggest international school in the country. Mm. It was literally a culture shock. So this one's in Colombo, yeah. This is in right. Colombo, okay. but it's it's a very it's a whole different world. For the first nine years of my life, I was in an all girls Muslim school. Yeah. In which you don't have members of the rest of the communities. It was maybe just one or two, which were the teachers' children or grandchildren, but ninety nine point nine percent were all Sri Lankan Muslims. Right. Right. And then you come to my brother's school where you had people from all the communities. You had okay. the Buddhists, the Christians, the, the, the Tamils, and the Hindus, the Muslims, all of it. And boys and girls are sitting in one class. Right. And it was very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> you so know, so used, um, to, uh, used to being in the, uh, like, for nine years, yes, of course, yeah. Exactly. But I think overall, it was a very interesting experience and essential as well so for the next four years I continued to work very hard did very well in studies I was always in the top three mm -hmm. and then the bridge comes after finishing A-levels we did London O-levels and A-levels right. um, I wanted to do medicine I wanted mm -hmm. to be a doctor but 
at 17 again i had another turning point okay. um there was an islamic teacher who had come from saudi and i was very very into religion researching it on my own right and i asked myself why do i want to be a doctor you know mm-hmm. it was neither it was neither having a role model because i didn't have any other family members as doctors mm-hmm. and of course at that age um, i wasn't concerned about making money mm-hmm. i wasn't concerned about reputation and fame mm-hmm. and then i realized it was purely for freedom right right freedom and to just live my life on my terms because when i looked around me all my female relatives all of them were housewives i mean okay. i love them and i respect them but all were housewives all were getting married uh, after they left high school some didn't even finish high school and i wanted a different reality right right so at that point it felt safe to say i want to be a doctor because they can't re- refuse it because yeah. it's decent it's noble it's yeah, a, yeah. it's a service so you were basically the first person to want to come out of the bubble of of how, yes okay. you could say that there were uh, like distant distant relatives some right. females who i didn't know personally but no, nobody i knew in the immediate circle Mm-mm. um so so then at that time a lot of my seniors were going to singapore to national university of singapore and right. for me that was the dream um but nobody was really getting medicine at that point mm-hmm. and then we also applied to pakistan because my father and parents of course preferred pakistan right oh. and uh, then when the admission results came one friday after the prayers my father comes home excited to say that i got a full scholarship to pakistan Whoa. to study medicine now right. here's the catch it was again an all girls university okay, in a muslim country <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh which was like a bit of a irony i was like why god why like why did you have to take me from Back that to, into yeah. it's like full circle but yeah, i was yeah. justifying it saying that maybe there's some good in this you know right right um but next day on saturday i still remember the postman brings a massive envelope a heavy one from singapore wow saying that i got admission to singapore yes <laughs> just what you wanted and uh, what i wanted but it was not for medicine it was for science bachelor right, of science right right that was also a scholarship okay but honestly i i wasn't even asked where i wanted to go it was decided that i was going to pakistan okay so within a week things moved fast and we were on our way to pakistan but i really felt that i think that was probably one of the first times when i felt like i didn't have that right mm-hmm. to choose mm-hmm. the right to choice because they were both admissions and seats to universities at two different worlds right so going to pakistan was a massive culture shock another massive culture shock uh, so you were born in uh, born in sri lanka right or born okay. in colombo yes okay so this Colombo. is the first time you're going to pakistan first time i'm going to right. pakistan and and not just sri lanka i've been in colombo all my life which is the capital the metropolitan yeah so yeah. outside of colombo the reality is quite different in sri lanka right so when you're in that bubble you could say like people in delhi in dubai they're in mm-hmm. those bubbles right yeah yeah, yeah so yeah, i was yeah. in the colombo bubble and and also like language wise we speak english like like my entire family we speak english so right. again culturally there's so many things and going to pakistan first reaching karachi was okay it felt mm-hmm. like the bigger version mm-hmm. of colombo yeah but i got admission in a place called nawabshah okay which was very different it was a very remote 
remote place in interior Sindh of mm-hmm. Pakistan. Yeah. And when I first got there, I didn't speak any Urdu. I only knew Pani means water. Bas, that's all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, then I had to learn the language. And in the beginning, I wanted to just come back. I wanted to come back and right. I wanted to just go to Singapore because Singapore was waiting for me. And I was here in this place, which really didn't match up to my expectations. Yeah. I wanted to come back to Sri Lanka and go to Singapore. But of course, my parents preferred that I stay and do medicine. Um, then go to Singapore. So then there was a whole other longer story that happened in Pakistan <laughs> as well. Yeah. So uh, after after medicine, you moved back to uh, Sri Lanka. Yeah. So even during medicine, I was moving back and forth, okay. traveling every year, obviously. And then after I finished medicine, I came back here, and then that was the next adventure because. Right. Even during medicine, I never really felt passionate about it. I guess my mm. personality was kind of coming out in the right, sense right. that while I was in high school, I was able to just study and be that studious bookworm. Mm. But at university, everything changed because it wasn't only yeah. studies. You have to learn to live with people from different countries sure. and cultures. I mean, yeah. you're in Dubai. You know what that's yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and languages, I ended up learning uh, Urdu through Hindi and also Sindhi. Okay. Um, and coming back, I was not the same person, right? You're not the yeah, same yeah. person once you go through that metamorphosis. Right, right. And um, coming back, I came back with the decision that I didn't want to practice medicine clinically. Okay. Because uh, I think through university, I realized that there was a creative side to me. Like I mm. became a writer, I became a speaker. Right. I got into sports. Um, but coming back, it was really a struggle because now everybody has high hopes when you come back as a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To work, especially like the foreign grads who come back have to go through the exam and then have to get posted to some yeah. part of a village. Yeah, yeah. That was the path everybody was taking. But for me, I knew that was not the path that I wanted to take. Mm. Um, and then began the whole culture and traditional Right. 2.0 jihad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we get into that, we were talking about toppers, right? In school, uh, like back when mm. I think where you were, you were 12 or 16, uh, mm. where you uh, you went from being 12th in the uh, the class to fourth. So uh, 14 like, to fourth. 14, 14 to fourth. fourth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So uh, because sometimes I think even uh, even in in the university, I also used to think like, is that essentially how you win in life? Like being a topper in in the school does that does that school or university does that actually pay off in the real life in the world but when we came out we all uh, did after after the university i i figured out i mean yeah it's not essentially that's that's not the uh, the way of the success like afterwards there are a lot of other things you have to learn a lot of other things you have to go through so uh what how, how do you think about it now like is is uh, you you wanted to get there you wanted to feel how it was but do you do you feel like it was it paid off after uh, at the at the uh, afterwards after the schooling being the topper in the school like being in that position paid off in any way maybe even if it is mentally to get in somewhere or chasing a dream or something like that or uh, academically being good pays off in the real life for for your career career well that's a very very good question i don't think anybody has asked me that in my life so far <laughs> <laughs> well um i i think that there there is a payoff because when you are that hard working student yeah. you learn how to grasp 
information and knowledge right. and you can do it in a massive volume right so even now for me um i what i'm doing now is so different to what i had been trained mm-hmm. for we'll get mm-hmm. to that yeah. but um for me to be able to pick up those skills new skills which are completely different and alien to what i had been yeah. through yeah. is that ability to absorb like a sponge information yeah even on clubhouse for us to navigate through it and learn how to move in it smartly even yeah, yeah. to build a networking circle you need to be mm-hmm. smart yeah. people can do it in different ways right mm-hmm. and that's where the smartness comes but uh, directly answering your question hyder does all the toppers end up successful no no because for example you are just learning in some ways to memorize and regurgitate you are memorizing yeah. and vomiting out what you learn Right. when it comes uh, it depends on the field like if you want to be a doctor if you want to be an engineer an accountant to some extent that could give you that success right. but if you want to build a business right if you you need to know marketing skills you need yeah. to know branding you yeah. need to know to communicate mm-hmm. networking these things are unfortunately not part of that package of being a topper mm-hmm. in fact it goes opposite because yeah. toppers tend to be isolated in some ways there are exceptions of course yeah. but toppers tend to be isolated from the average students and the below average students um there's a famous um i think robert kiyosaki mm-hmm. who said that um the a students will work for the c grade students who are going to yeah. be business owners and the b grade students will work for the government <laughs> yeah that makes so much sense <laughs> that's so true <laughs> i think all the schooling what we what we take out essentially which is for guaranteed is the ability to learn i think ability to learn how to learn things learning to learn yeah basically not only learn i also think it's that ability to obey mm, and oh, yeah. to it's kind of uh, it's kind of that factory that's kind of putting out people ready for that corporate culture which is what yeah. the industrial revolution did yeah. so you have to be able to take instructions and follow the instructions True. and that is what that academic system is for yeah. however to be a business owner and entrepreneur mm. you have to be on on the other side of that equation True. because you're giving orders yeah. you're getting things done and for yeah. that you 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 have to break rules True. True. you have to break rules that's so true yeah yeah that's so true so uh, after you graduated so what was the, why did you think this was not for me or you already had that when you were learning you already had that in the mind no this is not for me but i'm here anyway so i might as well finish it or you realized after graduation you this no i knew it i actually knew it from the first day okay <laughs> i knew it from the first day i remember going to the first class and um my first day of the first year of mbbs was the last day of that year they were closing for study leave i was 8 months late oh <laughs> yeah right. uh, because sco- scholars end up getting the admission yeah. last yeah so i mean i was 8 months late and the first day i was seated there and he was like that brings us to the end of the syllabus from next week chutti it's holidays <laughs> <laughs> I was like what? <laughs> oh, um God. no but it's like I remember once going in for an exam mm-hmm. it was anatomy and it was all about the head and neck right, and right. it's like you study 90% and mm-hmm. you go prepared and then mm-hmm. sometimes the bad luck is such they'll ask you the 10% you didn't study 
Right. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I have had that happen so many times. Oh, and I yeah. remember sitting once, he held on to this little model of the eardrum, yeah, the tympanic yeah. membrane. Yeah. And he said, okay, Beta, now you tell me everything exactly about this <laughs> tympanic membrane. Tell me everything you know. And that was exactly the only thing I hadn't studied. <laughs> And I sat there either thinking, how can you, I know it's important yeah. for the field, like yeah, you yeah, might yeah. be a surgeon who needs to know that, blah, blah. But as a student who was being judged from my knowledge and with the possibility of failing that exam, I, I felt it was ridiculous because I was being judged by three questions when I knew the rest of the 90% of that topic. Yeah. And the whole system is just flawed for that reason. Right. That's so true. That's like when, when you look in that perspective, like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like we have three, let's say two or three hours of, uh, of exam and we studied for a whole year and then all that can, yeah, of course their practical side is there. They can only ask this set of questions, but we get judged on, on those set of questions for what we learned for one year, one full year, which is yep. which actually doesn't make any sense. True. So true. Yeah. Yeah, so then as I was becoming a, a young adult, I must have been like by then 20, 21, it mm. started to feel very ridiculous to me because mm. the system itself is like that. Mm -mm. And you have to memorize the causes, yeah. the side effects, this, mm. this, this list of things. Mm -mm. So they're not really checking to see if you are thinking, but if you can memorize and repeat. Right, right. And that was not sitting well with me because I guess I, the creative side of me was waking up at that point. Mm -mm. Um, but every year I tried to quit. My parents, of course, were dead against it. They were like, you come home, we'll get you married. Right. That was the biggest nightmare for me as a 19, 20 year old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I just, by the time I got to fourth year, I thought, okay, now just one year left, might as well finish it. Yeah. But I really started to have fun when I reached the final year. Mm. Because uh, culturally speaking as well, I stopped fighting it. I stopped fighting the difference and I embraced mm -hmm. the diversity I was living with people from like 25 countries. You had the mm. Arabs, the Africans, the Kashmiris. And, you know, like it was such yeah. a diverse mix that I just started to completely let go of the resistance and right. I started to enjoy it. Um, but honestly, I had no idea what I was going to do. Right. Even though I knew that working in a hospital as a typical doctor is not what I want to do, I had no clue of what I wanted to do at that time when I came back to Sri Lanka. <laughs> what What changed? Uh, I mean, what did get changed after your uh, your university? Like, what What did university change for you? Even if it is for a thought, the oh mindset? my god, so much, so much. Before that, I was this typical studious person who was just status quo. But going to university, seeing people from so many different walks of life and countries, right? Like even you take the Muslims, let's just get yeah. very unfiltered and just direct here, right? We right, can yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. this very, very politically correct and tiptoe about it. But let's just talk about it literally. Yeah, yeah. Before I went there, at the age of 17, I wanted to quit high school to go become an Islamic scholar. Okay. Yeah, right. Because uh, I was very inspired by this teacher who was yeah. uh, our Islam teacher when I was during all levels, A levels. That I got so deep into it that I realized there's so much of cultural pollution mm -hmm. of what we think is religion mm -hmm. that I, I thought, like, who knows the real version? What about the truth? I 
I was like, I need to go study this. Yeah. And I had just finished my AS. I don't know if you remember, they had this AS level. The A level was broken up into two parts, AS uh, and A2. Don't know. Yeah. I think it's, so, it's completely different for me. For yeah. you guys, yeah. yeah. So that was uh, around the early 2000s, they started the first time of breaking A-levels into AS and A2. We were mm-hmm. the first batch. Okay. I got three A's. I got 100% for some of the papers. Wow. So I was literally the top of the class for everything, but I lost the interest because I'm like, I mean, who's going to know the truth about religion? And I literally was crying one day for my parents. I want to quit high school mm. and I want to go become a scholar. And my father said, like, what do you want to do where do you want to go and i said i want to go to egypt or saudi and study islam and become mm. a scholar i said okay then what i said then i want to tea i want to preach and he said who will listen to you because you need to have some basic knowledge of this world right <laughs> and i thought okay fine it's written for me to take a long trip and do this after medicine Mm. But nothing was the same again either after that. I actually lost that obsession to study 24-7. Right, right. And I got through A-levels. I got my three A's because the A's had been so mm. high that it yeah. compensated for the A2. Got right. the full skull, went to Pakistan. And when I went there, I didn't feel like that status quo machine that I was. Mm-mm-mm. Did you watch the movie, um, that Bollywood movie, um, Tamasha? No, no, I haven't. I but I've seen that the posters and the, yeah, I remember the. Yeah, movie, I haven't watched this is it. exactly what that movie is about. <laughs> how we're all like mechanical nine to five, you know, uh, robots, and mm. and how that can change. That movie is exactly about that. That's what I was going through. And when I got to Pakistan, I was passing exams, but I was not studying so hard. I was just getting through. Mm-hmm. because my eyes were open now right and right. i i had to survive so many other things you know how summers get in dubai and saudi right yeah 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 so even in nawab shahid went up to 56 degrees wow and no ac at that time oh my god no ac no ac um we had to sleep through the heat and you can't open the shower because it's boiling water yeah yeah and had to survive all of that the food was different the language was different and it was a whole survival mode to another level so having to deal with all that and also study <laughs> was a lot was quite a lot and uh, i guess you could say in some ways i was going towards extremism in mm-hmm. my teens mm-hmm. i wanted to quit everything and go become a scholar yeah, yeah. but going to pakistan was so ironically mm-hmm. good for me because i saw muslims from different walks of life mm-hmm. the africans the arabs the asians and then some of them were from the us and uk mm-hmm. who were born and raised there and i started seeing different versions for mm-hmm. example you know how south asians will cover their head for the azan Yeah yeah I don't know if they do it in India but over here they would just put a shawl on their head for the azan mm-hmm. and when we did that the arabs were saying astaghfirullah this is bid'a this is not islam right <laughs> because you don't have to cover for azan you have to only cover front of yeah. men yeah yeah and we said no we are doing it out of respect they are like right. why are you making religion so difficult this is not islam mm-hmm. this is something else 
Um, another example is um, over here, some of the Muslims believe you shouldn't cut your nails and hair on Tuesdays or after Juma okay, because it's actually coming from some of the Hindu beliefs right. as well. I think right. it's intertwined with that. Mm -hmm. So there were so many little things like that where the Arabs were like, yeah, this is not Islam, this is Bidah, this is innovation, this is like blah, blah, blah. So I was like, whoa, there's so many of that, you know? Yeah. That was eye-opening. That was very eye-opening for me. I think it it comes down to the one uh, one thing you said before uh, the versions, like yeah, trying to figure out which one's the real version. Like we we didn't live uh, the time back then, right? So we haven't seen it with our own eyes, and we are so confused. Exactly. Yeah, we're so confused which version to take, and sometimes many uh, end up twisting it to their advantage, and then that becomes a whole another channel of then they have that followers, and then there is another person that. Uh, taking a different meaning and that becomes a different channel so i think it yeah. all comes down to uh i i, I uh, did my schooling in uh, one of the islamic schools but it was not too strict mm -hmm. but they had uh, islamic studies so in that uh, there was one thing uh, about which said uh, which uh, i believe that was said in quran as well which said if you're confused go with your guts like do what you really believe and do your digging do your mm. research and then what yeah. what feels right for you go with that so i think that's yeah. what everybody has to go with uh like but now i think uh, it's there is a set of things that people believe in even if they like or don't like even if even themselves if they don't do it or not they expect others to be like that they want others to be a certain way i think that that's that's the main thing that we want to discuss and the one and also said, people are defending right they're defending something yeah. that they were just told is the truth without really even questioning it and exploring it to mm. any extent and mm, i feel yeah. like that is the biggest um what's holding us back because we are so afraid to even question so true. um if you believe in it so much then you shouldn't be afraid if it's the truth for it to be questioned true true yeah so true i think so what do you think the religion i think it's all about how we see it and how we uh, take it but uh, as as much as you've seen in the society or what because you uh, learned in uh, islamic schools you went to an uh, all girls like at least a bit of islamic uh, schooling system and then uh, does the uh, the religion or at least the modern concept of religion uh, put people in the cage uh, does that force or is it just the people is it the religion or just the people who are using religion to put people in the cage? What, what do you yeah, think? That's a, very, that's a very good question because I guess I was lucky or blessed to have come across Sufism, the spiritual branch of Islam, okay, which uh, is very beautiful. Right. And the Turkish version, the Persian version, and then Rumi, as you know, the poet, mm -hmm. the preparation mm -hmm. of trying to, as you said, go and search what is the right version. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Sufism, I wouldn't have had any hope left mm -hmm. with the peace that it brings. So it's definitely people who are making it their own version for their own benefit. Because when you do take a look at some of the spiritual people who do practice religion or Islam, you do have a very beautiful and peaceful version. Right. Um, but unfortunately, it's not the most popular. Yeah. It's not the most popular also to, also because media and the politics find that boring because it's not what gets attention. Yeah. Negativity is what gets attention. And True. so you, you're not seeing the beautiful 
Sufi music, the Sufi art, mm. the calligraphy, mm. that is not what's promoted in the news, but you, what you see is just extremism and the violence that's done in the name of religion, um, which really has nothing per se to do with it at the essence. But of course, people have now made it that version and they're using religion to justify it. Right, right. What what actually impacted you? What from Sufism impacted you? What's, wh- how does Sufism stand out? I don't know much about uh, Sufism. I, I haven't uh, come across much and I don't have much idea. But for you, uh, you said Sufism actually opened your eyes to it to an extent. So what impacted you from Sufism or how does Sufism um, stand out from it's, others? Yeah, it's the focus of compassion. Okay. The focus of compassion and love mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the fear and um, it's not fear-based. If right. you take most other extremist versions mm-hmm. and sects, they're mm-hmm. focusing on the fear and scaring you into believing and practicing. Whereas Sufism is about focusing on the love for God and humanity and the compassion and kindness, right. which is which is quite similar to Buddhism and Taoism and Zen Buddhism, also philosophies that I really, really respect. Mm. So for me, that was like the perfect um, marriage between spirituality and a way of life when it right. came to the compassion. Right. I think, side. yeah, I think it's about uh, that's that's well, well said, uh, because I I did an interview with Arvind Chandrasekhar like two uh, few days back. And uh, he, he he told something uh, which I which caught my attention, which is uh, nothing good ever happened by uh, by being angry or being negative to someone like or being rude to someone if you want to change <laughs> uh sorry yeah so what he said was uh nothing good ever happened from being bad to someone or for, from being too strict or being rude to someone just be spread the love spread the kindness and that can bring good change in you i think this is the same thing which you just said about sufism as well like forcing someone to change and imposing rules and then uh, scaring them about about something and then making them do is it's totally different from doing it by compassion which which makes them do out of the, they want to do it like they they feel like doing it rather than okay i need to do it because i might end up in trouble so i think mm-hmm. that that's a good way of approaching it i mean what sufism did so yeah i i really love but that. i i would i would slightly disagree with yeah. the um, nothing good can come out of anger right. because sometimes when there is oppression yeah. um, and the person on the receiving end of oppression, mm-hmm. I think their anger is justifiable. Mm. And for example, if somebody is imposing their views and if somebody right. is not respecting boundaries, mm-hmm. you have to set it. You can start by setting soft boundaries with kindness, with compassion. Yeah. But when they're not respecting you, and when they are trying to impose their views and their beliefs and their way of life, then at some point you have to set the strong boundary and say no. Good point. Yeah. That could be done with kindness, but yeah. sometimes it has to be done firmly, right. which can be uh, perceived as not kind from the side that is not used to being mm. um, enforced boundaries. Yeah. So be, yeah, basically we'll have to be a bit stern or, at least a little bit of rude when it's necessary uh, in certain situations, I believe. So that's that's where it goes. But yeah, and there is one thing I wanted to check about. Yeah, so after all this, after these religious studies, what what got you into uh, create being a creator like on on socials? Let's come into the tech world. 
because I I always yours like to be honest, yours is one of those rants I love to watch because there is so much in it that I I align with because there are there are many because I follow many and there are many rants going on about different things. But listening to you, uh, I mean, I can relate to many of that. So what got you into thinking that you you need to create content? You need to uh, spread the awareness because, of course, you're a speaker. And uh, maybe when did you realize that, okay, I need to express myself to the world rather than just keeping it inside and throwing it to the people that's around me? But I need to reach mm. more people. Great question. Well, it goes all the way back to 2009. Okay. Um, when I just got on Facebook, I was going through that period of fighting against that whole expectation of getting into the system, mm. a medical system. I didn't want to go through with it because I knew that wasn't for me. I wanted to explore the creative sides. And when I got on Facebook, I started to write posts. So okay. I started to just type out posts mm -hmm. without mentioning names, without specificity. And I right. was talking about what women and girls are going through with control, oppression, limitations by community. And as I was doing that, I started to get a lot of response from people around the world, not just girls and women, but also men who are going through this. And sometimes I would wake up to 100 friend requests in the morning on Whoa. Facebook. <laughs> uh, that was crazy and at some point somebody said open up a, a public page because mm. you know this is too much I didn't want to in the beginning because right. I didn't feel like I needed it but mm. at some point I had to because it was really um, more than I could handle responding individually mm. and then after I guess a couple of years Facebook started videos and then I started putting out videos as well and the response was pretty good even though I was very careful and tiptoeing about how I was saying it because I was concerned about my own safety mm -hmm. Yeah, because we were talking about very sensitive uh, topics which the people who enforce can get offended. True, yeah. So at that time being a 20-something-year-old, that was a part of me that was afraid but there was also a part of me that was brave enough to go mm -hmm. and speak because I knew there were hundreds and thousands of women and girls out there who needed me to voice that and today what you see on Instagram is a much less filtered version um, of what I could have said in the past as well so I feel like I've now come to a point where I have to take it to the next level because okay. even until now I have been quite politically correct and not saying things as directly as I can mm -hmm. but I think now the time has come for us to start speaking about it without putting on so much um protective masks and gloves while talking mm. about these things because uh, so many people need us to yeah. do that as a service right but at what stage did you because initially you said uh, you were just a bit more careful uh, about treading uh, because some people might get offended and you're gonna have trouble but I think now you're much more in a free space I mean watching you on on socials especially on Instagram uh, I've been take, uh, seeing your content and stuff, but I feel like now you're a lot more free. Like uh, you basically don't give a damn what people think. Uh, it's just, you'll just go ahead and tell what you want to well, tell. Well, I, I wish it was that true. There's still <laughs> a part of me. <laughs> I think there's still room for liberation. Okay. And I think this whole idea of low kakahegi, what mm -hmm. do people think? What do people say? We are just so wired, people-pleasing. Mm -hmm. Especially mm, yeah. being girls and women, we are raised to be likable, to be yeah. agreeable, mm. to be 
um, somebody who just goes with the flow. Mm-hmm. Don't be difficult. We've yeah, been yeah. told. And I think that is still something I'm working on, Haider, because mm-hmm. people pleasing has really been an issue um, that I've been working through. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's still parts of me that needs to be liberated because, I mean, I've been through therapy and it was through therapy that I worked through this. And my therapist yeah. helped me understand that you can't have it both ways. Sometimes we want to live our life do whatever, be the best version. But if that is opposing the version that is going to be people pleasing the community, the family, the relatives and everybody, mm-hmm. you have to decide at some point because we try so hard to balance these two. Mm-hmm. We want to have it both ways. We are trying to keep everybody comfortable and so proud of us. Yeah. And we also want to live our life. And sometimes these two just don't match up. Mm. which is why a lot of people at some point give up and they just settle for a, for a mediocre, average, typical status quo life. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, you said you've been th- to therapy. What led you to therapy? Like, is, is it, it was a voluntary, like you felt like, okay, you need to just let things out or you were at a point where you felt like, no, no, I need, this is high time, I need to get a therapy. No, it was a bit of a cliche. So I went into therapy as I was going through a breakup. Okay. Um, in 2020, <laughs> I was engaged to be married. It was a proper Rishtavala proposal okay. um, uh, marriage, which, uh, I mean, it was an engagement which mm. broke up. And mm. I think it wasn't so much about going through the breakup, but I have a lot of female followers and fans, if you mm. may, and they were looking up to me and some of them were very excited and asked me, when is a wedding? When is a big day? We want to mm. see you as a bride. And I had to tell them like, hey, it didn't work out. And there was so much disappointment and mm. judgment from them. And they said, how did you make such a mistake? Like you made a misjudgment wow. on this. <laughs> and I, it, it, it hit me really hard because I was like, you know what? They're right. I, I was too hasty. I didn't make a right decision. Mm. To the point that the lady who comes, the the maid who comes to clean, literally said those words. And she said, we are not educated people, but you being so educated, how did you make such a big mistake? Whoa. (laughs) And that really hit me. And I couldn't move past that because I felt that I had really... I mean, we all make mistakes and yeah. judgments which are not right at times. But to make such a big decision as deciding to marry someone is not a small decision. Hmm. And in our cultures, arranged marriages literally works in days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They go see the girl or they, they meet up within five, six days, within a week, things happen. Yeah, yeah. Which again is something we have to start talking about because yeah. it's not practical anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, age. go ahead. Let, let's, let's just get onto the top. yeah i mean yeah, it's yeah. not practical anymore in this day and age because today girls women are not in that position of depending on a guy for survival like back mm. in the days mm. they have an education they have their career if not they could be doing their businesses their side hustle and then their next side hustle so there's a lot going on so today for a woman to decide to get married there has to be more coming into the relationship and marriage Mm. than just for the guy to be able to provide and protect and keep her safe and Mm. comfortable Mm -hmm. because she's already doing that on her own to a large extent so the compatibility factor is what's really important and um, 
So that's what led me to therapy. But you know what? That was just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> tip of the iceberg. But therapy was amazing. It has been amazing. I'm still on and off in, in therapy because it led me to understanding about inner child healing, mm -hmm. which is that we all go through some kind of inner child trauma, even though it might feel like the most ordinary childhood. Mm -hmm. um, people pleasing, setting right. boundaries. Right. And these things not just are about the personal life, they also go into our professional life. Mm, yeah. So to set boundaries, to be able to say no, to be able to say yes, all of these things apply to all relationships, yeah. not just personal relationships. True, true. Yeah, so true. Uh, one thing I wanted to jump in was judgments. Uh, so judging, how, how did you face, like, how did you, take judgments before like when you wanted to the first of all yeah the big thing was completing the medicine and then deciding not i don't want to do this so because many people do that but with medicine i think it's it's a lot more heavy <laughs> when deciding mm. that because it's one of the top professions that everybody wants to be at and uh everybody wants their children and their sister their their their, their father everybody wants to be in that profession and then you just finished it and and decided no i, I don't want to practice medicine and from that point, and, and then have you ever come across, I mean, have you ever passed that phase of being affected by judgment completely or maybe partly? Well, now it's much less. I wouldn't okay. say it's 100% gone. I still face it. Mm. I still go through it once in a while. Um, but I guess I have grown a thicker skin. Mm -mm. But I guess being a woman, we are still sensitive. You know, mm. we are emotional, so it can affect us depending on who it comes from. Mm. So the interesting part is, Haida, I didn't in the end quit medicine. I kind of came full circle. And right now I am practicing okay. as a nutrition physician. Right. So after that um, period of trying to fight it, I got into writing. I became a full-time writer and published wow. as an author. Um, and then I got into speaking and corporate training. So I was actually living that life that I had once upon a time dreamt about to be a mm. professional speaker and writer. Mm. But something in me said that for the sake of commitment and responsibility, go and finish what you started. So right. then I went back to Pakistan for my internship and training. Okay. Um, but by then I had got into fitness. I was like a fitness freak in the gym mm. all the time. Mm. And uh, I was just doing my training in the morning in the evening i was just working out and then the medical students requested me to conduct some programs mm -hmm. and i started doing boot camps for the girls wow in the evenings uh, mornings i'm like helping with uh, in the wards and surgeries in the evenings i was doing these boot camps and that's what led me to understand the bridge between medicine and fitness is nutrition mm. Because most people can just go on YouTube and they can just yeah. do some workouts, but people don't know what on earth to eat that is specific for them. Mm, yeah. So I was looking for the right program. And then coincidentally, University of Colombo has one of the best programs. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, I would have been happy to have done a program in Pakistan, but they didn't have what I was looking for, like mm. a full-time dietetics nutrition program, a, a post-graduation. Right, right. So I came back to Colombo and applied for that and got into that program and completed that post-graduation. Mm -hmm. So today I work as a nutrition physician and a dietitian. Wow. Um, but it, 
it's again it's it's very different it's more like i work on my own terms i don't yeah. like work full time or i don't work uh, like an like a different clinical doctor does mm. brilliant but the judgments i thought the judgments would stop considering i went back into the practice i work as a doctor in a very reputed clinic now but it doesn't because our people and our community they are so fond of judging others even if they have a hundred things achieved which are so hard to achieve they will then judge you on the way you look especially for women mm. there is just so much harsh judgment by the way we look by the way we dress the first time i came on tv in the morning show this was 2004 Mm-hmm. I was wearing a sari and I was in a local morning show. Right. My mom got phone calls throughout the day not to say congratulations. Right. Your uh, your daughter was on TV but oh she wasn't wearing hijab. <sighs> like oh she wasn't covering her hair. What what have you got judged more about be uh, as a woman or as a woman in uh, as being a muslim woman? generally just as a woman uh, just a woman or being a muslim woman and then living the life you like being a muslim woman who has liberated herself has definitely got me more judgment mm. right definitely definitely because it's always a community who who are the very people you expect you to be proud of mm-hmm. when you achieve so much mm-hmm. who are disappointed because of how it looks the wrapping right just because it doesn't relate to them anymore with the way it looks mm-hmm. they would just dismiss everything else that went behind underneath that and behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh which is very shallow and very sad yeah yeah i think it's it, very sad indeed indeed i i think it it's it's about the uh because in most of our communities especially asian uh the parents have certain expectations and that's based on what completely strangers think not about our own blood and what they feel inside if they are happy or not doesn't matter all that yeah. matters is how we it's like a product we we make a product and then we present it to others and then we expect them to like our product and that's our achievement so we fail to see what the product feels we fail to see what the children feel so whoever close to us we fail to see what they feel all that so i, I think that it's some form of selfishness i don't know if that's the right word uh, but it's it's all about being proud about because if i am thinking that about my children if i if i'm thinking about my children okay i i have to keep my children certain way so that people tell me i have brought up my children in a good way so that's actually a credit for me not for my children right so basically mm-hmm. i'm being selfish there i'm not looking at my mm-hmm. children i'm i'm gaining more credits for myself for bringing mm-hmm. up my children so i think a certain fraction of selfishness is there and also about yeah the the cliche reason which is so true still in 2021 i'm sure it's going to be the same in 2022 is about caring about other people think doesn't matter what we feel doesn't matter if we are happy doesn't matter if our children or our parents are happy all that matters is what others think about about us or yeah i think it has and the worst thing is like even with age this is not changing right sure. we thought it would change when we turned 18 and then when we turned mid 20s and graduated mm. and then when you hit 30 you think that it changes mm. and right now i have passed my mid 30s and and it's still not any different the only difference is that they might not say that directly to your face mm. Mm. but it's still there so i don't think even when we turn 40 and 50 it's going to go away either <laughs> sad truth 
sad truth. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll just have to uh, deal with it as we go. Yeah. No, because uh, recently, recently there was a phone call. My mom got a phone call from a relative who called to complain about some of my social media posts. And this time it wasn't about the pictures, but about what I had written. So I had written, here's to wearing whatever the F we want, because it, it's been so difficult for women to just wear what they want. Yeah. And that person had a problem with the language of my post. I agree that it's not the usual mm -hmm. language you would see around here. But I had like censored and, and sweared some of the words Gary V style. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> yeah. um, and then they had a problem with it. And they were trying to emotionally manipulate my mm -hmm. parents saying that I was being ungrateful when the reality is the post really had nothing to do with them per se. Right. You know, it had to do with culture and traditions and how it's trying to control girls and women into becoming a shrunken version of ourselves mm. that was what the post was about so even even now it does bother me and this is something that I'm working on and I realized something a few days ago and I think I wrote about it I think on Facebook and mm. I think even on Insta where it's actually our selfishness mm. to want to live the life that we want which we know is our highest calling and also, no, it's not selfishness, it's greed. We are so greedy. We want to live the life that we want and also want it to be something that everybody likes and approves and praises us. Wow, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. We are greedy. Really, we want yeah. it all. We, are, we want it all. And I am waking up to that reality that I, that greed is not worth it anymore. Mm, mm. Yeah, like we cannot have it all. Like we have to prioritize what we want what we actually want and then just close eye to something else yeah i mean even for you right now starting this podcast series right yeah clearly brings you a lot of fulfillment this mm. is something you enjoy doing and something we would do for free yeah yeah and and all those people who have a problem with this kind of creative create like being mm. creators yeah, yeah would say that it's not worth your time because you're not getting oh, paid at least not yeah, yet yeah it's, it's like the wasting time uh, dialogue. Yeah, you're just wasting time for because I think it's all comes uh, the, from that mentality of going for a job because you go mm -hmm. for a job, you get paid from the day one. But mm -hmm. uh, most most of the people don't uh, think about building something. It takes time. It takes effort and you don't get paid until later. And if you, even if you don't get paid, there is something about, like you said, the fulfillment factor. So that's also a yeah. currency, but people, some, some fail to see that it's, it's just, it's not all about money. It's the fulfillment is also a currency for us to live uh, because many people are happy. They are poor. They're still happy. Right. And it's, it's like the cliche saying, but it's so true. It's so valid. Even at this point, many people don't have money. They're happy. Many people are millionaires, but they're not happy. So, and still mm. people feel, fail to see that the money, it's not all about money. It's we need for fulfillment. We need the, uh, the satisfaction of doing things. Even uh, I was going to post, I think I'm going to post it tomorrow. I scheduled one post which, say, which, which was talking about wasting time because we tend to uh, connect the wasting time, the term to activities. We don't tend to connect it with intentions, but I, I think that's so wrong. Connecting the phrase wasting time to activities like video games, it's wasting time. Playing uh, football, it's wasting. It's not actually, if, if it makes you happy, 
if you're someone who has a rough day, you come back home, you play video games, it makes your mind relax. It's not wasting time. Of course. Yeah, it gives you some peace. It felt make you felt feel good. So I think it's so wrong connecting the wasting time to activities the same way that we tell about wasting our time or using the time, connecting it to money. If you don't make money, no, you don't. You're not using time wisely. So I think that has to change. I believe. I hope we we can hope it changes at some point. But let's see. Yeah, you mentioned about the book. Uh, tell us about the book um, that you've written and the name of the book and where it is available. Where no, you... I mean until now it has all been articles. So I've okay. been published in several magazines. Right. Uh. Um, a bunch of magazines. So you have Explore Sri Lanka. You have um. The, the Sri Lankan Airlines magazine. I even wow. was editing for that. Um, Architect magazine, and then mm. the Sri Lankan newspaper, uh, the Sunday Observer is the oldest English newspaper. Wow. Um, I was writing for the medical and health section for them as well. Nice. Um, so I've contributed to several magazines and even books um, around the world. So, wow, I mean, it's now time to really sit down and write my book which is yeah. like long overdue yeah yeah, yeah. it should it really should so uh yeah one question i think we are nearing to yeah we uh we, we can end it up in maybe 10 or 15 minutes just uh, one question i wanted to ch- check was are you afraid of uh of s- at some point you might think whatever you you're doing now or you believe now and whatever you preached now with my you might have a different thought later on and then you want at some point you will think look oh god no uh that was all wrong are you afraid of that point or you are just like okay if i if i think like what i did or what i've been was a mistake i'll just change it i don't care i'll just change it mm. or are you afraid no, i'm of not that? afraid okay no i'm not afraid yeah. because i mean the whole idea of growing and evolving is about constant change true yeah. right yeah. and and we have to be willing to accept the fact that what we are saying today Mm. might be contradicted in the future version mm, yeah. for example this whole idea of independent woman mm. doing her own thing mm, mm. women don't need a man i mean mm. not that i ever said that i, right, I never right. claimed to be a feminist mm. but um there was a time that i really wanted to be fully independent mm. to the point that i i didn't see women as less than men but equals right but now i have come to realize that um there is nothing wrong even in a relationship for a woman to let a man to lead he can mm. be the lead mm. with respect because she has a different way of being uh, the leader and respect in a different way like leaning back from the mm. feminine perspective mm. Mm. so the older me would have never even thought of that because i didn't know but yeah. now i honestly think that men and women have their own strengths yeah. and you don't have to compete against each other exactly yeah yeah I you think because like yeah. go on, go the on. feminine energy that a woman brings is not something a man can compete with and shouldn't mm, yeah yeah likewise the masculine energy that a man can bring is not something a woman should compete with of course when she's at work she can be that version where she's leading yeah. but, but when she comes back home and when she's with her partner she has to know how to switch that off and kind of mm. balance it yeah. so some might call it a contradiction but i don't think so it's more like the older we get and the more experiences we have we learn and that's like an evolution mm. so i see it as an evolution true because true. um it's it's a part of us yeah going further in life mm. 
Yeah, I think it. It's. I always believed in equality, but I think it comes with uh, the equality. It, it, everybody is equal, like the uh, man and woman. Everybody has equal rights. But when you mentioned, it's so true that at times there has to be that imbalances. Like sometimes men will have to take the lead, and sometimes women will have to take the lead. Like when men have, let's say, if that he went through a bad career or or he got fired, let's say, or he failed the business. He has to come back to home, and he needs some assurance. He need uh, the yeah. woman to take care of him and and make sure he's feeling okay. So we'll have of to course. swap the roles at times. So yeah, I think the equality comes along with, uh, along with the imbalance at, at 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 times when necessary. Yeah, that's so. That's that was a really good thing that I, I that you said. Beautiful, and yeah, the recently uh, about yeah, just one last about the uh, the social media thing. Uh, recently, you posted. Uh, who was that? Uh, the re- you posted something about uh, Grant Cardone. I'm also uh, following the same person. Uh, the so he posted basically he was saying uh, the the content that Grant Cardone put out. I think yesterday you reposted it on the stories. Bradley, Bradley, Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bradley posted that. And what do you think? Like, cause even even I I sometimes be so confused. We we all make content online. I'm also I'm trying to step up the uh, the contents uh, in terms of quality and also the value. And sometimes I feel like it's so confusing that sometimes I feel like, okay, you have to stick to a certain plan. Uh, and sometimes I feel like the, uh, like what Gary V uh, says, like, boom, boom, boom. You feel like posting, go ahead and post it. Don't worry about the algorithm. Forget the algorithm, forget everything. So uh, what, what have you tried or what have you felt in this journey of social media? Like as for just, let's just talk in terms of social media, uh, what the ROI what your the content you put out have you felt like more you have to be more structured in terms of social media or just be yourself and then go boom boom on it yeah i'm I'm not structured because i think that we should be looking more into the quality than the quantity either mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because yeah. you ask the frequency and the number of times you post right mm-hmm. you would rather post really good content and not worry about the frequency because sometimes for us as creators inspiration comes when you don't expect it Sometimes Mm, you can have three or five posts coming a day. And then there are other days when we really don't feel like it. Mm. But the structure can actually help on days that we don't feel motivated or inspired, Mm. where we have to push ourselves to write, just post it. And maybe when you are feeling inspired and motivated, make the content in batches and keep them, even ideas, so Mm. that on days that you don't feel inspired and a lot coming up, you can use that to inspire Mm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we should worry about. I don't think there's any such thing as posting too much because you never know who you, yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, because you never know who is watching when. Because right. not everybody is watching twenty four seven, right? You mm-hmm. might get a different crowd at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the consistency is important, and also to keep it real. Because sometimes we try. I've been there as well, where we are trying to be perfectly correct. Mm-hmm. We post something and then we regret and delete it. Mm-hmm. Have you been there where you delete yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, so true. So yeah, yeah. What, so yeah, that's basically one great conversation we had. There is one question why, which I always ask, uh, which I plan to ask everyone who comes up. What's your biggest fear in life? It can be about my um, think thoughts, or it can be anything materialistic, or in terms of life, career, whatever it is, whatever in your life. What's your biggest fear in life? What do you fear the most? Yeah, I can answer that easily. The biggest fear is to get to the end of it and not having lived my potential. Mm. Because I have thought about this when they said, if you suddenly 
can go back can go to that point of your deathbed and you only had three days or three weeks to live what would you do that's exactly what we should be doing right now mm. because for me a legacy is in the form of leaving something behind that can continue to live on it can be in the form of a book in the form of a movie or something mm. inspirational and i feel like the struggles that we go through many of them are here for us to figure out how to heal it to solve it which mm. can then become a blueprint for others mm. also going through it relatable right right so for me the biggest fear is if some if i get to the end of my life and haven't lived my potential and i and i this is this is literally a fear that i have on a daily basis mm. um because sometimes we as perfectionists we try to do something perfect that we keep postponing it postponing right. it to the point that we are going to come to the end of our life and not having lived the life that we mm. have the potential to live is my biggest fear Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so, who do we want Dina, Doctor Dina, to be remembered as? How do you want people I to remember li- you as? I would like to be remembered as a girl from a very simple, average middle class background who didn't let any of those limitations hold her back from becoming someone who was fearless enough to live her life. and to be a role model in the future to several generations especially to girls and women and to and for them to say that okay if she can do it i can do it and go ahead and do whatever it is that they want to be doing wow beautiful that's that's one beautiful way to put that so yeah that that we comes uh, we come to uh, the conclusion but yeah big thank you for finding time we we tried uh, <laughs> two times before but our schedules didn't match but this was like honestly this was one of one of the best conversations i had we went to even i, I was i didn't mark much questions but your conversation brought many questions to ask and even i was happy with the questions i asked like sometimes you uh, you do talk to someone and then you feel like ah, i i could have asked better questions but today i feel like i feel so good that it brought up really good conversations which i didn't even think about uh, so yeah big thank you for being a part and uh, hopefully this should be aired in uh, in in by in this week you're this welcome week, yeah. but i i have a few closing remarks please go ahead um so remember when we started hi we were going to talk about culture and the limitations mm. and what i want to say is that sometimes by holding on to traditions and culture and in the whole name of respecting you mm. have to respect the culture the elders and how things have been done we tend to miss out on so much because there's so much we can be doing but to really genuinely 100% be able to overcome the fears that comes with the cultural limitations that's something i'm still working through mm-hmm. that is the only way we look at people who have made it to international who become mm-hmm. millionaires who become icons mm-hmm. and all of them had to go through letting go of those fears and limitations mm-hmm. they wouldn't be where they are if they had been holding on to that yes of course there are exceptions there are some people who seem to be lucky mm-hmm. who seem to have had supportive family community and all the right networks but mm-hmm. all of them had to really commit to becoming the best version of themselves on a daily basis mm-hmm. um in fact last night i had a dream and i woke up with a quote wow which i'm going to share and in that I woke up to that thought which said that self discipline is the highest form of self love. So true. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's so true. Self discipline yeah. is the highest form of self love and this isn't the discipline to 
follow rules, mm. but to have the self-discipline enough to do whatever it takes to live your purpose and to become the best version of yourself, even if it means losing the support and popularity of the people that you thought would support and love you, mm. Mm. even the loved ones. But it's, it's, an, it's an unfortunate, bitter truth. Yeah. So yeah. are we willing? Are we willing to let go of that greed of wanting everybody to like us while we live our purpose, even though that purpose and that path might not be something that they would approve of? Mm, true. Yeah. So letting go of that greed of wanting to be liked by everybody and being that people pleaser for me is like the biggest current revelation I'm working through. Yeah, so I think I love that wonderful. piece that you shared uh, just a while back about about wanting to be whatever we want to be and wanting others to like us. I mean, that's, yeah, that's something that we'll have to choose in between uh, because both, in most cases, both doesn't go uh, together. No, I mean, it, it could work if somebody wants to choose a, a popular path. Yeah. For example, if somebody wants to become a famous surgeon, a doctor, yeah an accountant and if a woman wanted to do something that is praised in the community then yes but mm. if you want to do something the the, the road less traveled mm. is, is, is a road less traveled for a yeah, reason true, true so making that decision is is the, is the most difficult thing but it's one that's worth it and we can't keep having one foot in this way and that way because we are going to constantly be exhausted and stressed if we try to have it all yeah yeah so true so true uh yeah but yeah thank you so much this was a brilliant session i can't wait to uh air this i'll do it as soon as possible i'm not even worried about the schedules <laughs> i'm just gonna uh edit this up and then add the intros and stuff and then i'm just gonna air this but yeah brilliant conversation we went through a lot of things in this uh just a bit more than one hour but lot of good stuff sure, sure. a lot of good i mean you can also extract parts from that and we can always do a couple of more episodes right Definitely. So we can get more specific in the future. Yeah. We can get more specific and take one and dissect it into details. But this was For just sure. an overall. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm looking forward to have you uh, having you again on the podcast. We'll we can dive into. Who knows? Maybe the deep. next episode I'll be in Dubai. <laughs> oh, that'd be brilliant! That'd be brilliant. Ah, oh, that'd be brilliant. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. But yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on the You're podcast. You're welcome, Haider, and thank uh, you for your consistency. You you didn't give up easily, and you kept reminding me and i in fact i have two other podcasts in line that i have been invited right but you on that race <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much i'm glad but yeah thank you so right. much and best you're of luck with everything that you're doing i'm sure you're gonna excel you're and, well. yeah. and uh, yeah your social media handle uh where do people follow you yeah it goes as dr dina sadik so that's at d-r-d-h-w-e-n-a-s-a-d-i-k that's the same on Instagram, on Clubhouse, on Facebook, everywhere. Okay, brilliant. I'm going to be uh, uh, adding the link uh, in the descriptions of this episode. If anyone wants to follow, please go ahead. Uh, so yeah, I'll be having you again on the podcast for sure uh, with more topics. But yeah, thank you so much, Dina. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, awesome. thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, Heather. Thank Bye. Bye-bye. All right, so that was a brilliant episode with Dr. Dina Sadik. Big thanks to her for coming up and then having a chat for more than an hour of good content, like really good chat. We went through a lot of topics, really good topics. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much, whoever listened till this point. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. See you soon. Thank you so much. Stay safe and take care of yourselves. And as always, cheerio. <laughs>